Hello and welcome to this episode of the Helix and Gene Medical Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Baluch, here with my buddy, John DeLimpio. Um, today, we have a very, very special guest. Today, we have our own Director of Nutrition at Helix and Gene, Lori Graham, one of the most brilliant women in the minds of nutritional and functional medicine today. We're going to dive into a lot of great subjects, the two of us, and really uh, looking to see what goes on with people in between the numbers. That's what Lori's specialty is. Lori's been an occupational therapist for the past 35 years. She has a master's in exercise science. She's a certified functional medicine practitioner and a nutritionist. And the list goes on and on and on. And we're going to really dive into who Lori is, what her interests are, the science behind what she does, and how she came about to be where she is today. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, Lori Graham, Director of Nutrition here at Helix and Gene. Welcome, Lori. Thank you. I'm really excited we're going to do this today. And it's, it's a privilege. It truly yes, is a privilege you. working with you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Lori, you know, let's uh, let's get to it. I mean, you know, <clears throat> we, um, you and I have known each other for a little while now. And, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and we've had numerous conversations and we both share the same vision when it comes to uh, health and wellness, both from a holistic standpoint as well as a medical standpoint. Um, I really want to dive into uh, the functional medicine aspect of what you do today as well as the different aspects of nutrition and how you use that to help treat the symptoms as well as the root of the problem with a lot of people. Um, but before we get there, I really want you to just tell us a little bit about your history. How did you get started? How long have you been doing this? Um, give us a little background of who Lori is and how you came to be here. So very interestingly, I think I chose my degree to be an occupational therapist more from what was right to do back in that day and age. And I would say about 10 years into doing my therapy work, I really began to see that something was missing. And I had a parallel life in nutrition, exercise. I've done marathons. I've done triathlons. I really saw where my health was only getting better by virtue of how I changed my diet and my lifestyle and I saw that my patients weren't. And once my kids were really grown and you know college was done, I really felt it was time for me to reinvent myself because I was tired of feeling like a square peg in a round hole. In fact, you know, I often recollect a particular patient that I did home care with who had very progressed multiple sclerosis and he was well off so he could afford to have the private aid and he set his computer up so he could literally put a stick on his forehead and and touch the computer screen to let people in the front door and he had a camera there and you know he, he paid for our my services um, out of pocket and he really wanted me to exercise him but he didn't have any strength at all like trace mm -hmm. muscle strength and at some point, uh, and I was in my functional medicine training at that point in time, I remember having the honest conversation with him when his aide was preparing ramen noodles for lunch. And I'm thinking, your aide is there, like, why isn't he giving you real food? And right. I had the conversation about, I could exercise your muscles till the cows come home, 
but until you feed your mitochondria, those muscles aren't going to work. And for those that don't know muscular sclerosis, that's MS, it's a disease that essentially breaks down your... The myelin. Yeah, the, the, the myelin, myelin that the surrounds the, the nerve, <clears throat> and so nerve impulses sure. don't travel down and stimulate muscles to work. And, and that just atrophies muscle over time? There's yeah. tremendous atrophy and also contractures, like tightening of muscle, spasticity, increased tone, and a lot of discomfort. But, you know, on that note, in functional medicine, the big difference is that we look at many things from when a person is born until the time at which we're treating somebody. We will look at their parents' health. You know, were there any diseases their parents passed from? We call those antecedents, things that happened, you know, before. We look at triggers. You know, did they perhaps have a lot of stress in their childhood? Were there a lot of ear infections and did they take a lot of antibiotics? Were there gastrointestinal issues growing up? Lots of times you can see dysfunction in somebody's you know, mid to late 20s, and there's always something that we find when we look back. How do you treat that symptom when you go back? So you, know, you figure out this person when they were 10, their parents pumped them of too much antibiotics. So one of the causes of why they are here today Maybe is Maybe they that. have irritable, irritable bowel syndrome. So what did the antibiotics cause today? Right, so you see an imbalance in the gut microbiome. And, and you know we now know that the DNA in our gut microbiome speak to our DNA. There's crosstalk that sure. goes on. Yeah. So it's very important for optimal health and to, to make sure that we balance the gut microbiome. But in, in a bigger picture, it's important to understand that in functional medicine, we look for the root cause, and then we look to bring people back into balance by using food, by using supplementation. And it's very, very different than treating a symptom, like if your cholesterol's high, taking a statin. Got it. Very, very different. So with this gentleman with, with the MS, how, what approach did you take? When did you realize I have to think outside the box and you know, I what were the results? So this gentleman didn't, <clears throat> didn't heed my, you know, my call, but it was, that's just the kind of situation I would bump into in home care. Mm -hmm. Anything from that to just elderly people who would take all the food out of their cabinets and you saw what they were really eating. They kept it on their countertops so that they wouldn't fall reaching up. Huh. And so what you'd see are the bagels and the croissants and you'd see muffins and you know these highly processed kinds of foods Easy, and then you wonder why foods. their backs were hurting when they couldn't get up from a chair or something like that. So you know in functional I would start to I had a different lens when I started training in functional medicine, but I was still working in occupational therapy, I really had a different lens with which I viewed my patients. Mm. And you know, to this day, even when people come to me for weight loss, and even in you know our Helix and Gene model, I have a different lens than a traditional nutritionist might. Yeah, and I, I, I just I, want to really allude to that because you know I've been in the fitness industry for 
20 years now and and you know um, I've done nutrition coaching myself for regular people competitors I've met over a hundred nutritionists over these past 20 years and I've never met a mind like yours in the sense of how you see things how you view it how you attack it and not just the overall science of how you do it but how you have that intuition to read in between the lines and i really want to get that across to our audience because it's so important for someone who's overseeing what it is that you're doing to have that type of intuition and learn how to take that intuition and utilize the sciences that are out today to bring the best out of that person. And you have such a gift for that. So it's, it's interesting you say that. I think, I'm not so sure how much intuition it is, but I think when you spend 35 years in the disease model and you've seen everything, and then you go through a program like the Institute for Functional Medicine you know, teaches, you start to connect the dots differently. And it really wouldn't have been if I, if I didn't have the 35 year history, I would be like a brand new nutritionist starting out in the field. Right. So what's different for me is I do have that medical underpinning or foundation. Sure. And the other thing I really wanna speak about is one of the things that they really uh, grilled into us in functional medicine is how important it is to really listen to your patients. How many times do I hear somebody who comes to me and said, I'm telling my doctor I don't feel well. I'm telling them I have my, uh, my hair's falling out or my skin's really dry and I'm feeling anxiety and I'm just feeling, I'm not feeling like I'm in my body and then I might see them and say, you know what, has your doctor done a full thyroid panel? And we'll find out that the doctor maybe has done TSH, this thyroid stimulating hormone, maybe T3. But unless somebody looks at the full panel, how T, you know, how T4 gets converted to T3, how reverse T3 can sometimes be um, elevated, which shows that you're not absorbing the thyroid hormone into the cell. Sure. Looking at a full picture, looking at autoimmune thyroid, whether it's Hashimoto's or Graves' disease, looking at those things begin to give me a picture. So if someone has an autoimmune disease, which answers some of those questions about why they're feeling the way they're feeling, I don't say, first of all, I'm not a licensed doctor. I don't say you should go on meds but I would definitely do an entire leaky gut healing protocol, look at food sensitivities. And the beauty of the system that we use for weight loss, which face it, that's what people come here for. They get a lot more than they bargained for. Sure, yeah. But the way we do our detox phase, because it's so simplistic, because people are eating one protein and one vegetable at a time, it's very easy to notice how foods affect you. Mm. So we can tell without even doing a regular food intolerance test by blood, we can actually tell very often. It's more like the, the kind of a typical elimination diet. Yeah. And then when we move through our phases, mm. because we bring in fats next to kind of reset the metabolism, mm. we're now testing nuts, seeds, and cheeses 
as people are bringing them back in their diet. So that person with autoimmune disease may have food sensitivities that they'll pick up. Mm. You know? And where does the genetic test play a role in that, in, in how we bring the foods back in? Because, you know, I know that, you know, part of our genetic test shows, you know, certain people break down fats better than other fats. You know, maybe poly, poly fats against, you know, mono fats. So, you know, they, they break, each person breaks down different types, you know. Because I remember when my wife did the, the, the program with you and one of the things that she realized when she did the program was, you know, everybody always told her, myself included, eat almonds eat almonds and we figured out well we didn't you figured out that you know through the genetic test and also your experience with trial and error that you know she reacted better to walnuts than she did to almonds right. and that little bit you know it sounds a little crazy but you know doing that over a one-year period that's a monstrous adjustment people don't realize like oh well what's really the difference in say changing something so little right? right well if you look at it over a lifetime or a you know one year period five to ten of those little adjustments can be life-changing they can pay dividends <laughs> yeah. right and so certain genes govern um not just how you metabolize fats but you know, how you metabolize your monounsaturated, your polyunsaturated, and your saturated fats. And so while our genetic test, it actually spells out what your macronutrient distribution should be, how much protein someone should have, how much in the way of fats they should have, but also that distribution of fats. It tells us how many carbohydrates, including the vegetables, the fruits, and the grains, and the beans. Then you superimpose into that and we'll talk about the exercise after, the food intolerances. So now you have, wow, you know, I really should be on a 20% you know, protein kick, but I don't really digest chicken well, or I feel tired every time I eat you know, salmon, or whatever the story is. Sure. And so you're getting the best of both worlds hmm. in, in terms of that. And then you know, from, a personal from a personal perspective, um, you know, I became a vegetarian just because of the people around me years and years and years ago. And I kind of find it hard to go back to eating flesh food, not because I don't want to kill animals, but because I've listened to some of the best cardiologists in the functional medicine world. And, you know, when they're looking at the scans and they're saying, I'm still a vegetarian, I'm like, I think I'm going to hedge my bets here. But, you know, but being someone of an Ashkenazi background, I boast a high cholesterol, but I, you know, also boast a really high HDL. Mm. So my point in saying all this is genetically, um, I know I've done a very advanced lipid panel called the Boston Heart Lab. Mm -hmm. You can look at whether somebody overproduces cholesterol or underabsorbs or any combination thereof. But I happen to be the type of person I overproduce, I underabsorb. I'm going to have high cholesterol. You don't put someone like me on the same on a stack. Yep. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so when you look at that information and then there's another gene that's, you know, kind of made the cool space in in the genetic functional medicine world and it's the APOE4 gene. And basically if you're the 3-4 allele or the 4-4 allele 
you are someone who's more likely to have Alzheimer's disease and those are people that really should be eating more of a plant-based diet. I'm a 3-4. So, you know, I kind of thank my lucky stars that the people around me inspired me to be a long-distance runner, <laughs> inspired me to do triathlons and eat a plant-based diet, you know. The universe kind of pulled you toward it, the it, right direction exactly. without you knowing, yeah. But, you know, on uh, with your genetic test, the one that we're using here, the one that you had helped design, the other side of what our macronutrient distribution should be is also our vitamins. Are you converting vitamin D? Are you converting vitamin A? Some people don't convert. Some people don't sure. methylate B9. And so when people experience anxiety or depression, they're in the continuum where that's more of their default mechanism. I don't mean like they're truly diagnosed. Mm. Those people very often are not methylating. So that's where you tie together some of what your experience is when you're listening to somebody and this genetic test. So can you just really quickly elaborate what you mean by methylate? You know, I don't know. Methylation most is know. just right. the addition of a methyl group, which is CH3. Sure. That's all it is. Okay. Where is it important? It's important with the liver in terms of its detoxification. It's also really important in terms of our neurotransmitters, the dopamine, the serotonin. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And, and if we if we can't control our moods, correct. And yeah. If we're not converting, if we're not providing our body, if our body cannot methylate effectively, then we're more inclined to have those neurotransmitter kinds of issues where those metabolic pathways don't work as well as they could. Um, but also, you're more inclined to maybe not metabolize certain hormones like your estrogens or progesterone. Like you might not metabolize those as well in the second phase of liver detoxification so, and so that can leave somebody feeling really crappy it's really interesting stuff yeah. especially yeah. like when you get to the nitty-gritty and the scientific aspect of it right these truly genetic predispositions that some people have that they have no idea like i wouldn't know if i can methylate B3. I mean, I, I'm right. sure no, none of us know that unless right. we get tested for it. And if I see somebody struggling with losing weight and they're doing the program right, right, right I know they're not detoxifying effectively. And I've had this happen a few times. So there's certain little cues. My, my, yeah. my gut instinct is give them methylfolate. And I give them that and then they're, all of a sudden they're dropping weight. And I've had this happen enough times, it's the lowest hanging fruit. I don't have to mm. run the genetic mm. test. Buy the $8 bottle and give it to them. And it's the lowest hanging fruit and people all of a sudden start knocking off weight and oh, by the way, I'm feeling more relaxed than I ever had in years. <laughs> so going back to that intuition, some of it is just, you know, when you really apply what you've learned to that disease model that you learned a long time ago and you start to see patterns yeah, well, I think that's what intuition is. It develops over time. Right, right? It's a, it becomes a yeah, skill. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And then the best thing of what your you know genetic test does is we're looking at how somebody should exercise. Should they do cardiovascular long distance? Should they do intervals? Should they do weights? So, you know, on a little bit of a personal note, I'm a runner. You'd think I'd have the, the thinnest legs in the world. No. 
I carry like no fat in my arms. I carry more fat in my legs. I've always kind of wondered this when I did the test. I need to be doing hills. <laughs> By the way, yeah. this she's being very modest. Lori <laughs> is in exceptional shape. Well, for my age. <laughs> for anyone's, anyone's age. age. A, 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 a much younger or older or whatever. I mean, you are, you walk the walk and you are the definition of looking good and feeling good. And, and that's the key component and, and here. Thank you for that. And, you know, for me on a really kind of spiritual kind of level, when I went into my work as a functional medicine practitioner, I finally felt authentic. Mm. I really always felt like a square peg in a round hole treating the disease model. And so, I, I really thank Functional Medicine, the Institute, for giving me you know, the tools to help can people. Can you explain a little bit about Functional Medicine? Because it's, uh, you know, everyone knows Western Medicine, Eastern Medicine. Uh, what is your definition of Functional Medicine? So let How me it tell you a little you bit about the Institute for Functional mm -hmm. Medicine. Sure. The Institute yeah, for please. Functional Medicine basically teaches doctors, nurses, uh, therapists, chiropractors, anybody who has a master's degree or higher can take the, the program. So the requirement, just so we're clear, for anyone to become a functional medicine practitioner is to have a master's degree within this field. Within the field, within the health field. Understood, right. okay. And then they've, they've set up seven different modules that you normally take over the course of two years and what are those seven modules? the modules you know? i'm going to try to knock them all off okay. so there's <laughs> i know i'm putting you on the spot there's, <laughs> there's the there, there's one they, Here we go, they did the basic one um that's like five days basically that was an intro um and a lot of people will stop there and just embrace some of those practices there's the cardiometabolic there's the immune module there's the detox module the gi module and the hormone module. So there are six, okay? Okay, got it. And basically, that mirrors how functional medicine looks at people, hmm. in that we are a connection from all those different you know, modules that they teach. Those are the different biological systems or categories that all interact with each other. So the gut affects the cardiovascular system, affects the immune system, you know, affects your, your nervous system and all of that. So it's really important to consider that interplay. So when we're working with somebody, we're looking at anything that can give us information and that can be the genes, that could be food intolerances, that could be a blood test that we look at differently than a traditional, you know, doctor might. And we're looking at their diet, we're looking at their lifestyle, their exercise, their sleep, their stress, the support that they feel within their family and the community. Hmm. So essentially, it's really, it, it really is the, it, it's the more, it, it's almost like a medical uh, breakdown for wellness and life. It is, and it's it's really uh, systems biology is the, is you know kind of the term that they use. So, you know, back in the day when I became more interested in holistic health, you were charlatan if you were talking about vitamin C. You know, Carlton Fredericks was really considered a quack. Right. Um, but now the research abounds. Now the research abounds for fish oil 
as an anti-inflammatory. In fact, um, I sometimes listen to a functional medicine practitioner, Alex Vasquez, and he's a chiropractor and he went back to naturopathic school and he actually did a review of the literature and found that the particular literature had research. The findings about the efficacy of the fish oil were suppressed hmm. and they accentuated the more medical approach and he found it in the research further down and they basically just suppressed <laughs> that scientific information and so there are and that options. goes on a lot by the way well inside the medical field it can it, it, do, it does <laughs> and but, it has but, but it's changing it is changing and I think more and more doctors are aware of the power of exercise and food and and wellness but it, it's also like if somebody really needs to be on a drug because they're in pain or they're really at at risk of heart disease or something like that you might put them on a medicine short term while you start making you know the dietary changes so the best is really to blend you know it, I would say if, you know, if I ever, God forbid, you know, broke a bone, I'm not going to, you know, start doing energy work on my leg. I'm going <laughs> to go and get the bone fixed. Right. But, I, but I, th I think that's sort of a, a misconception, like functional medicine and holistic health is that if something happens, you are in favor of taking a Western approach to sort of mitigate that problem before it gets abs too bad. Absolutely. I think we have to live in both worlds. And, you know, you can talk about cancer, which is a perfect... Yeah. segue yeah. here for a second yeah. so you know the whole concept of bioindividuality is huge in the functional medicine community so ever consider why some people do well on certain chemotherapy drugs and some don't and we're yeah. starting to do the genetic testing to find out how people and how their livers metabolize mm -hmm. certain drugs and we can pick chemo agents that are more appropriate but you know 30 years ago, we didn't do that. A lot of people died, and some people, you know, got better. Yeah, and that's the beauty and the growth of modern medicine. Right, and that's know? that's the blending that yeah. we can do. We can move genetics into that space. Um, I have a kid that I work with who has, um, he's, he's on the spectrum. He's, mm -hmm. he's more in the Asperger kind of side of the spectrum. But the doctor ran a genetic panel to look at any of the more ADD, HD, ADD, ADHD kinds of meds that they were going to put this kid on because they really needed to control some of mm. the inattentiveness. But they ran the genetic test to actually see what he metabolizes, which led me, and this is a hot topic, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand the middle ground on this one for lack of offending sensible <laughs> people. But, you know, in terms of the vaccinations that we give kids, if we can look at perhaps each individual kid and space out the vaccinations or look at how their liver is going to metabolize all the other products that are in the vaccinations from the heavy metals, the mercury and aluminum and whatever else is in there, why aren't we doing that for our precious babies? Why aren't we? You know, I think there's a learning stage with every new contradictory aspect of medicine that affects everybody, right? right. I mean, everybody is a baby at some point. 
And every parent at some point has to make that decision whether they are going to vaccinate the kids, not vaccinate the kids, wait or spread it out. Right. And I think it comes back to the lack of knowledge and, you know, and we that, don't, that, we that's don't, out there. We don't know? educate. Yeah. We, don't, we, don't, we don't. The average yeah. person does not know that they could be perhaps running a genetic test or maybe consider cleaning up a child's diet before having a vaccination. There are things to do so that you can live in both worlds. Yeah, yeah. And 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 you know, Hippocratic Earth is, Oath is first do no harm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I I think it's it's always good to know before you do anything. Right. And and exhaust your options and understand what's there and, and, and make the proper choice for yourself and your family. It's something you and I have talked about in the past, right. you know? And I, I don't know if there is a right or wrong answer to any of this. Is, is, no, it's as, right. What's right for the person. It's exactly right. It's, it's right. more of what's right for the person. And I think the only way we get closer to that, not just in a vaccination world, but in any kind of medical world that, you know, has dire circumstances if not done right, I think it's just a matter of time and unfortunately like you said you know there's trial and error and then there's learning and then there's application and then there's statistics right right so it, you know 30 years ago we people were dying of x y and z because the medicine wasn't there the knowledge wasn't there the statistics weren't there 30 years later like you know hiv for instance right, right? like i think it's know, also important though to rely on the data first and foremost and not get so caught up in the trend and i yeah, think some yeah, I people yeah. i think the lack of education can cause people to get so enamored in a trend and say like oh i'm not going to do this because it's bad for me but they don't understand that there's you know countless scientific backings 50 years down the line that say I, 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 you're it works. 100% correct. So, yeah. you know, right, don't right. get muddled in the trend, right. but allow the trend to play its course when applicable. I think that's important. Right, and I, I think the thing that functional medicine really brings in the realm of medicine is treating the individual. Yeah. And you know, if, if we just give a particular statin to 10 people, a certain percentage of them are going to have muscle aches. But if we ran the genetic test, we would choose the right statin right off, off the base. Yeah, and so I think th that's those where the, it's headed. The medical that, field is really right, heading that right. way. And, and you know, and, and I think we're, we're really starting to understand genetics, you know, and when we started Helix and Gene, we started as a pure genomics company, right. you know, that right. turned into this medical wellness center because we realized that genomics and genetics is just one, you know, piece of this big puzzle that, you know, we, and with your help and with John's help and with our whole staff that we have, I think have really started to figure out, you know, what medical wellness as a lifestyle is and how we can help people apply it to their daily life based on personalized genetic tests, blood tests, and uh, food sensitivity tests and so on and so forth. So, so you know, it's, uh, I, I, I think we're, we're headed that way in the medical field as well as the holistic field, as well as the functional medicine world that's in, in between. And I just want to talk, talk a little bit more about that aspect, right? So um, recently I've been 
reading a lot about uh, Dr. My, uh, Mark, Mark Hyman, Hyman yeah, yes. Mark Hyman, um, and uh, the the Cleveland Clinic, which uh, I believe are the leading people at the moment in terms of functional medicine and that was a collaboration. That was actually a collaboration between Cleveland Clinic and the Institute for Functional Medicine. Okay, and uh, I remember hearing about it probably about five years ago. It was very exciting, and when you look at the website, it's very impressive, I must say. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but many of the ways of practicing is what I see in their clinic. They have a clinic for, you know, weight loss. They have a clinic for autoimmune issues. They have a clinic for um, GI issues, and, you know, and the list goes on and on. They also uh, captured, I think, a very brilliant idea to work with groups because groups equal community. Go down the road of recovery in a, in a community and you're more likely to maintain some of the habits that you've sure. attained. Absolutely. But one of the models that they actually you know, put out to doctors is if you were to have a health talk one night and you had 30 people there and you had your nurses on staff, you could do pullouts for just like 10 minutes and you could capture the blood pressure and do the heart rate and that's billable. And so you might get a billable, you know, on all those 30 patients, but now those 30 patients are also really getting continuing education on good diet and nutrition and exercise and things like that. So understanding how to make the fast paced business of this work for your advantage right. and to be so able is, to actually give people what they want. And this is one of the things that they are doing at the, at the Cleveland Clinic. Smart, very smart. Yeah. So, um, so in, in, you know, watching this, you know, and, I, and I've seen the videos on the, you know, Mark Hyman and the, and the you know, uh, Cleveland Clinic and, you know, and, and reading their site. I, I'm very proud to see the similarities in what you and I have put together in creating our Helix and Gene program. Now, I gotta say, before I even knew about functional medicine or even uh, looked up uh, Mark, Dr. Mike, Mark Hyman or the Cleveland Clinic, you know, we put this thing together. So it, it really shows that, you know, when you're starting to look at the medical wellness field in the right way, you know, there is different avenues around the world where, you know, spiritually and energetically people are kind of, you know, combining their know-how without even knowing, right? Right, right? It's like the ancient times, right? Like the pyramids of Egypt and the, and, and the, the ruins of the Aztecs and the Mayans were created in a very similar right, right, way right. in completely different parts of the world with no communication whatsoever. Right. But where the earth was energetically, those things, that was the riping time for what it is. And I feel like, you know, we're right in the smack of educating, you know, not just patients, but in, in, in an interesting way, doctors about you know wellness and and looking outside the box and what you said you know you have a different lens on when you look at something you know and 
oftentimes people ask me, well, why didn't you go to school to become a exercise science doctor or a physical therapist or some of these things? And for me, it was always about, well, I wanted to be open to what I can do, not be taught to look at something in one light. Right. And that's what always deterred me to go that route and take more of a personal reading and study and development, you know, into this field. And, you know, not that one is right or wrong, but again, that's what works for me. And for you, see, you have both ends. You went through the 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 schooling aspect of it the right way as well as the practical experience as well as the personal reading and information so you know here we are today and you know it feels good for us i think both of us to sit here and and see that you know we are following the footsteps without even knowing of some of the top-notch places that are out there one of the things i think technology has made a huge difference in terms of educating the community at large about functional medicine or other ways of looking at the chronic diseases, not the acute diseases that kill you, right? And so I will sometimes get calls. Somebody's heard a webinar that some big person in the functional medicine community has done. And, you know, they say, I have offices in Long Island. So it's like, you know, can I book an appointment? Can, and I, I do a 15-minute consultation with people and this is strictly for functional medicine not really looking at the work we do here and I, I really have to thank those people that have stepped out to be more public about I don't know there was, was a webinar on cancer a webinar on autoimmune disease there's been fasting you know webinars and there's always a disclaimer at the end which I love which is go to the functional medicine website. <laughs> you know, you don't take this on. Uh, you know, don't take this on yourself. But go to the functional medicine website and find a practitioner there. So and, I want. So that's you know that's really helped um, fuel some of what's going on, you know, around the country in terms of really wanting to find other ways to embrace longevity, to increase our health span, to compress morbidity is another way of saying it. So just to get into a quick subject, you know, something I really want to touch on, especially with your mind. So a few different avenues that are out there right now. Everyone, the buzzword now is intermittent fasting. And you said something about fasting. What is your take on intermittent fasting? Um, what do you think is the proper way to do it? And uh, are you for it? Are you against it? What do you think is, 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 if someone wants to learn more about what does intermittent fasting mean? Like how would you? So the whole fasting movement is, is, is um, very popular, but there's a continuum of intermittent to even at the other end of the extreme water fasting, there's even the prolonged fasting mimicking diet, which is a way of eating, but flying under the radar of insulin. And, and so certain biochemical changes happen when we're in either a intermittent fasting, fasting, or fasting mimicking kind of mode. There's a couple of things going on. One is that we're giving the organs some a break. Your organs don't have to work so hard to 
detoxify or to process foods and things like that. So by lengthening the number of the hours of the day that you don't eat or shortening the hours of the day that you do eat from maybe a window of 12 or 14 hours that you eat down to maybe 10 or 8, you will spend more hours letting your body heal and rest. Mm. Okay. The other thing that happens is you are flying under the radar of insulin. And so that in and of itself helps regulate blood sugar really tremendously. Now, in terms of the intermittent fast, right? Do you have a preference or is there, or what I should really ask is, you know, I do a lot of intermittent fasting. I've been doing this for years. I fell right? upon it by right. myself right. before they had a Ex word exactly for it. Exactly, <laughs> and, and, and you know, um, you know, I, I, don't want to get into a religious conversation, but you know, uh, I grew up Muslim and you know, I would fast for Ramadan for right. when I was younger for 31 days from sunrise to sundown. So my, my understanding of fasting was something that was put into my head from childhood, you know? Right, right. So, you know, it, 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 it's, when as I got older and you know I no longer fast for Ramadan, but in terms of my daily life, I find the sweet spot of good function from a mental cognitive standpoint, as well as a detoxification standpoint, as well as lowering my body fat tremendously, is that 15 to 18 hour mark. I feel like if I fast, up to 15 and no more than 18 hours on a daily basis, five days a week, I happen to hit the most optimal results, you know? And, right. you know, and, and what are you, what is your take on that? So do you have any scientific I, again, information I'm gonna, behind it? There's, that, there's a lot of scientific data. Um, I don't read all of it, but I will say that I love your rendition of your experience for you because some of the more recent things I've been hearing on podcasts is 12 to 14 hours is long enough. Part of it is you, while there's a lot of um, data on low calorie or, or lowering calories, you know, and longevity, that research was done 40 sure. years yeah, ago, forever, the yeah. intermittent fasting does, could cause someone to eat a lot less calories over a longer period of time, which might change what the what their nutritional status may be. There could be a toll over time. So one of the more recent kind of topics that's kind of surfaced, and I listen to more podcasts, it's just easier for me because I'm driving. Sure. So, but I listen to more medically, th those given by medical doctors for healthcare professionals. Sure, yeah. Um, is, you know, going up in your protein one day, going down another day. The being metabolically flexible seems to be more valuable for us than just being fat adapted. You want to be able to be flexible. Mm. And sometimes when you've fasted, it's the refeeding that is so vital. And what is that process? What do you... So let me, let me backpedal yeah. a little because we didn't finish the thing I was saying before. That is... Like if you're doing a five-day water fast or you're doing the prolon fast or intermittent fasting, 
at some point, you're, you're, you are flying under the radar of insulin, so you can detoxify or recycle autophagy, recycle old organelles. That is so important because we can take old cells and throw out some of them and build new, new organelles with some of the recycled stuff, kind of like we do with our recycling in our house. You'd never think of saving your water bottles and never going to recycle them, you know? right. right? But even in Prolon by day five or a water fast, your body goes into a magnificent state of um, stem cell growth. Well, that's the whole anti-aging benefit. Right. And, you know, I think once you hit 40, you should be looking at that. So, yeah, yeah. So, so intermittent fasting versus that kind of fasting, I think it's good to do some type of fasting like that, maybe twice a year, maybe more if you feel your body takes on a little more stress or if you're fighting autoimmune disease or cardiovascular disease. Sometimes people are putting out once a month of the prolon and even once a month of water fasting. Right. You have to be really disciplined in our Eastern world, I think, sure, yeah. to, to water fast. It, it, it takes a lot. It does, yeah. But intermittent right. fasting is a little more achievable. So it says, I'm going to stop eating, let's say, by 8 o'clock at night, and I'm not going to eat my next meal till 11 o'clock in the morning, or I'm going to stop eating at 6 and eat at 9 those windows of time really let the body relax. And this is very different than the eating two every, every two hours sure. to maintain your blood well, that's sugar. That's what I was going to ask you next. And yeah. so, you know, we used to say eat every two hours so that you don't kind of eat sure. at night. And, but you, so but you, you never give your organs a chance to rest. They're constantly breaking down. And, right. And back to bio-individuality. I learned years and years ago, if I was going to go out for a run in the morning, I can't eat breakfast. So I would, if I did a marathon, I wouldn't eat anything solid until I peed clear. Right. Well, and that's just like, you know, kind of funny, but I just kind of figured that out myself, yeah, that, three, yeah. that I needed to hydrate first. Hmm. And so... You know, maybe that, I didn't hear that anywhere. You, some things you just learn yourself. Intuition. It's intuition. <laughs> but why would, just like you wouldn't tell a kid to eat lunch and go swimming in a pool, right. you don't want to really have your body needing to digest before you work out. Yeah. So, you know, some of us who kind of real, those of us who were in the exercise realm back in, you know, maybe the early 80s, um, that was kind of you know what you did and you 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 carb loaded the night before sure yeah right you carb loaded yeah. the night before you didn't eat breakfast well i think a huge thing and alluding to what you said in the 1980s one of the biggest issues that i notice in the fitness industry in general is i always say the the the, the best and worst thing that ever happened to uh, western fitness was bodybuilding and what, what happened was when arnold schwarzenegger started competing and he was a movie star you know, all of a sudden, every guy wanted to look like him, right. wanted to lift, and wanted to build, and wanted to get big and muscular. And what these guys didn't understand, which is why a lot of orthopedic surgeons have so much business now, in you know, from the baby boomer age, is that there's a process for exercise and fitness. Body, but being a top ten competitive bodybuilder at one point in my life, I can, I've lived this, so I can tell you this. 
bodybuilding is the last stage of training, not right. the first stage of training. Right, right. <laughs> right? So, right. So you need to learn how to stabilize your joints, stabilize your spine, strengthen your internal muscles, teach your body proper movement, raise your, anabol uh, uh, raise your anaerobic endurance, okay? And understand which foods stimu stimulate your body in an anabolic state and which foods decrease the catabolic state. Right. You have to understand all of this and go through this process before you can even think about bodybuilding, right. you know? So it, it's like, same thing with like nutrition, right? I think a lot of these people, people find the key buzzwords. Uh, intermittent fasting. Next one I want to ask you about is ketogenic diet. You hear all this ketogenic diet, you know? Most people don't even know what a ketogenic diet is. They just think you just load fats, you know? And so can you elaborate a little bit on the, the true aspect of what a ketogenic diet is? So if I could couch this in something even broader, may I? Please, yeah. Okay. Since I've been a vegetarian most of my adult life, I think that you can use certain diets therapeutically and then when you're in good health I think there's beauty and value that comes from embracing everything from sprouting your nuts and seeds to eating organic grass-fed meat sure yeah okay I just haven't made the leap in the grass-fed meat direction and that's what I do well right but yeah. but the point is you know if, if someone has cardiometabolic issues, there's a lot of evidence out there that speaks for doing a ketogenic diet and getting the sugars out of your diet. The beauty is that people get off sugar and learn to snack on nuts. So from a behavioral standpoint, mm. if you can teach people to snack on, you know, maybe nuts and maybe yogurt and, you know, like snacky kind of foods like that, rather than going towards the processed foods, you could really get somebody to make significant changes in their blood sugar, significant changes, and also in their cholesterol levels. So it would serve a function, but then you have the problem in the keto world where, and we talked about this with the genetic test, with how much of your diet should be saturated versus unsaturated. Yeah. And so one person shouldn't have too much saturated fat, so they should be deriving that 70%, 60 to 70% keto you know, fat, the fat that they should have in a keto diet, someone like me shouldn't be having 70% be saturated. You know, I should have maybe 10% saturated and the rest of it should be poly and monounsaturated. So, you know, I think the problem is that people jump on the bandwagon more often than not to lose weight, not really to resolve health, health issues, yeah. but more often to lose weight. And some people do really well and some people just get frustrated. And why is that? Because maybe it's not really the right mix for them. Well, you hit it on the head. You said behavioral issues, right? You, Huge. So, so one of the things that we're very big on here in our program is that, you know, is teaching and empowering the individual on what works in their system and not just 
giving them a teaching, plan to lose weight. And teaching them how to read their bodies. Well, so also what you said, right? If, if you, it, you know, people, always, I hear this more than anything. Why only one vegetable, right? We just had recently a client, I will mention her name, who loved tomatoes. She was eating tomatoes her whole life. And she realized through our cleanse that, oh my God, tomatoes make me feel terrible. I, <laughs> I get bloated, I don't lose weight, and this has been part of the problem right. my whole life. Right. She cut out tomatoes and feels better, weight drops, right. hormones balanced out. I mean, it's it sounds crazy, but it's it's really true, and that's Correct. that works. Right, that works, the simplicity. You know, years ago I worked with a homeopath, and I was on the beginning of my journey into that holistic space, and I was just curious about how food affected me. And she said, do a monofoods diet. You know, one meal eat one food, one meal eat another food, one meal eat another food. And there I was eating carrots and I had a stuffy nose. <laughs> I thought, that's bizarre. Carrots are really good for you. you know? Yeah. And, and so, yes, everybody's an individual. Yeah. And then, you know, I had a, um, a patient recently who was reintroducing she was in the reset of metabolism we do and she was introducing almonds and she every time she had almonds she'd put on like a pound and a half and she wasn't having like a bag of almonds she was having a couple of ounces of almonds and i said cut out the almonds for a couple of days let's see what happens weight comes back down yeah and you know she's not a person who noticed gas or bloating or fatigue or congestion she saw it on the scale you know but and, and I really want to, you know, talk about this for a second. The empowerment that someone has, and even your own wife said this, I now have much better control over what my body does. Well, she had this experience. She, Correct. She, she, had, she has, you know, uh, an, an acute form of asthma. And when she was doing the program, one day she's like, I can't breathe right. So she got in contact with you and you asked her, did you have yogurt the day before? She's like, yeah, I did the plateau breaker and I had yogurt all day. Right. And you know, there it was. The right. yogurt was stimulating the asthma and she learned that you know, my plateau breaker can't just be all yogurt otherwise, or it can be, I just have to understand that the following day, I'm going to feel this way a little bit and then it's gone, but whatever it may be, but, right. but, but it taught her right. to say, hmm, right. you know, this is something that I figured out through the process within my body. So yes, right. I mean, we've seen this continuously. Right. And so knowing those tools and, and what's also important to notice is sometimes as we move through the phases of life, the game changes. Yeah. So years and years ago, I was intolerant to dairy. Years passed, and I was doing vegan protein shakes, and I could never get my protein levels up. And all of a sudden, one day, whey came into better um, a better status. You know, it used to be considered the garbage, the cesspool yeah. of dairy, and then sure. all of a sudden, they're putting it into protein shakes, and they're talking about the immunoglobulins that are in them. So I said, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. So I broke my vegan position <laughs> and started. And the one thing I did was a whey protein shake. And my naturopath is looking at my blood, blood test, you know, maybe like three or four months later. And she said, what are you doing differently? Your protein levels are finally up. And I had to think about it because I still had a protein shake. It was just a different source. Mm. You know, and so consider that, that, you know, maybe in my early 50s, 
I finally was okay having dairy again, but as a younger woman in my 20s, one who was you know going through cycles, I experienced all of the PMS kind of symptoms if I had dairy. That's very interesting. I think that's where a lot of people get so confused too. And I think that's why seeing a professional is so helpful because they help you navigate a space that is consistently changing, right? Both in scope of the field and within yourself. And so, within, right, right. So that's it, beautifully it's, it's said. A, it's a changing field. My Renaissance and, man here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's but it's true because yeah, it you is, know yeah. as you get old, older, certain things change, and I, and I think having someone along the way to help you guide you through that, and it sort of goes you know the change uh, train your mind, change your body thing where. Right. You know, you're learning about yourself every step of the way yeah. to where if you didn't do this, you could buy a hundred different diet loss books or watch programs right. or YouTube videos. But until you learn yourself and how to navigate your own space and the space as a general whole, I mean, you'll be lost forever. Right. And then you might hit a bump at a particular point. And not know how life, to handle it. And not know how to handle exactly. it. You know, women go through, you know, menopause and the game changes a little bit. Yep. So. You know, seek out somebody who's in the functional medicine space because you get a broader picture of the different ways food play in. But, you know, a younger woman, like, they could be cycling their carbs and maybe their fats at different times of their cycle to improve the symptoms. Men Postmenopausal woman doesn't have that problem. It's a game changer then at that point in time. Mm. So, that, so I, I, I want to talk a little bit about that you know, about the whole uh, menopause. Um, and I also want to touch a little bit right afterwards on uh, postpartum and the role of nutrition in balancing the hormones in, at those two vital stages that every woman goes through. <laughs> so, you know, we live in a different world, first right. of all. Um, any young woman who's planning on having a child, I think should be really tweaking their health and their nutritional status before they even get pregnant. How long before? I'd say at least a year, at yeah. least a year. Yeah. And I think that it would be wise to look at some of the genetics that govern, we'll go back to that methylfolate because babies need, they need folate, they don't need folic acid and you get what's called, it's called the um, corpus callosum issues when there isn't enough folate mm. because human beings can't metabolize folic acid. Got it. So, you know, there are certain genetic, there, there are more, a really good OBGYN will know more about this than I will, but we, we can't trust our food the way we used to many years ago. So a lot of the organophosphates, you know, Monsanto and the glyphosate, sure. We have to be really, really careful. I see women drinking out of plastic bottles all the time. And I know that, listen, it's easy to pick up a plastic bottle, but it's better to put a good reverse osmosis filter in your house and fill up your glass or your aluminum, you know, your steel bottle rather, not aluminum, but your steel bottle and, and carry that around with you. That's the much better way to go. The, all these things affect your hormones. And so women and men, you know, are dealing with all of that. And we haven't even touched, are you having a rich diet, like lots of different colors of the rainbow represented in your vegetables and in your fruits? Are you eating adequate protein? 
And it's not even what you eat, because if you look at a blood test in somebody's BUN, their blood urea nitrogen is um, not in range, you could be considering maybe they're not digesting that protein effectively. You could eat protein till the cows come home, but if you don't have enough, enough hydrochloric acid or pepsin, you're not going to digest it. So, right. you know, this is all important. It's not just what you put in your mouth, but let's just stay with what you put in your mouth, organic, grass-fed, free-range, um, as best as possible. If you can't get organic produce, you, you need to rinse your food with, with the sprays that they make for that. You can get them in almost every health food store. Um, and, and I really think women should be watching out about plastic bottles. Would you say that is a, a contrib contribution to the rise of uh, breast cancer? Absolutely. It's, was it one in four women develop it? Which I is think it's a, a very, astronomical level. It, it is. It, it's, yeah. it's astronomical. And you know, yeah. your dad right. works in the field of cancer. He knows right. the statistics better than anybody else. Right. But, you know, I don't know what it was, you know, 40 years it's ago. It's scary to see. And, right. and you have to think some of it has to do with the food we eat and the, 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 the rise of canned and processed foods right. and in that generation, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And, and we're seeing it's still prevalent. Right. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's a solution to eat, you know, you know organic and, and, and grass-fed, but it's definitely something that can help. Now, you know... Food is medicine in a way, but I'm curious of your your take your take on food being a medicine in the sense of being food is biochemical right. information. Right. Medicine is biochemical information. Right. Most pharmaceutical agents come from plants anyway. Mm -hmm. So again, there are genetic variations. There there is what might make one person more predisposed, and I'm not just talking about the BRCA gene, I'm talking about how we metabolize through our liver and detoxify. Um, but I dare say that, and maybe your dad could answer more to this, but if somebody's really eating plant-based, and I don't mean vegetarian, but there's a large array of different color vegetables and fruits and everything else is organic grass-fed free range that person is probably less likely that's that's not the typical person right. who come comes into your dad's practice would you say the best call of action for listeners you know listening to our podcast now this is a lot of information it's amazing information but for the average person who's like I just, I just want to do the most I can to, to prevent myself from being sick, and whether it be cancer or obesity. I would control what you can. You just can't control con the variables you can, you can. and, and you, just throw you can't, the you can't, you can't control everything, right? right. Um, you can't control the air that you're breathing, except you don't have to live where there's a lot of pollution, but it's around us. Mm -hmm. You can control water. You can control eating organic most of the time you know the source of your food you can you can control that i think we have to make our better foods more available to people who can't afford yeah you know that's, that's a big one that's that's yeah. a democratic cause um you yeah. know a social cause yeah no absolutely absolutely and yeah. you know there's some wonderful things though that are going on in terms of food initiatives in new york city there there really are 
Um, I can't remember them off the top of my head, but I, sure. I was reading about them recently. There are some wonderful things going on. You know, we have farming projects in the Bronx and rooftops, and we're giving rebates to, to yeah, families. Yeah, yeah, it's very encouraging for you know, There's something called Farm to Farm, Pharmacy to Farm, I think, is, right. is, is an organization. But um, we have to do what we can. We have to, we have to sleep well. And we have to have good stress management. And stress is really in the eye of the beholder because everybody's busy. Everybody's crazy busy. What do you do to manage your own stress? Do you meditate? Do you exercise? Sure. So, and, and I want to get into that with you for one second. But before there, you know, what you said, right, about someone who, you know, it helps if you're eating organic or you're eating grass-fed. And you said that most of those people are not the patients that come into, you know, uh, an oncologist's office right. like your father's. Now, that also goes hand in hand with the person who chooses to live their life that way, not just from a physical standpoint, but from a conscious standpoint, mentally fights off free radicals constantly. Correct. And, and you know, they, they're... Their internal awareness is naturally a lot higher. And this is not something that I think is being measured or can be measured at this point in terms of traditional medicine. This is a little more on the holistic end. But like, you know, for like for instance, for someone like me who meditates every single morning, you know, I do believe that if you figure out the great way to consciously lower your anxiety, to calm your brain, to be able to not lose your cool, to not let things bother you, not hold on to things. That combination of that kind of mental thinking and, and lifestyle mixed with an organic way of eating, I guarantee you if you took people that take those measures, the statistics would be drastically lower of them ever developing any kind of long-term or detrimental right, disease. Right, right. Now, doesn't mean that they won't, but, or it could even be factors in which if they did develop it, they would be able to recover and, and get better much faster. Like Definitely. some of the things that I, I tell some of our patients is, well, will this make me live longer? I go, no, maybe not, you know, but it'll make you live better. Like if you are in constant exercise and you, you're doing really, really good in nutrition, yet genetically you have a terrible heart, right? And you have a heart attack. You're, you, now you're, you're better. Your recovery after that heart attack, if you're in excellent shape, both, you know, from a nutrition and a fitness standpoint is so much easier and better than somebody who is a couch potato, who hasn't worked out, who is overweight, Absolutely. who doesn't eat well. So, you know, it, it, it's, you have to take those factors in as well when it comes to looking at overall wellness. It is a lifestyle. I think that's a good point. And, and I, I just thought of this analogy of, you know, when we drive a car, you can never prevent a car accident. But you want airbags, right. you want a seatbelt, right. you want to make sure that you that's have, right. you know, proper oil changes right, so that your engine right, doesn't right. explode. You know, so right. you want to take as many precautions right. as you can to have the best journey possible. Yeah, and I think there's, you know, the cup runneth over kind of mm. philosophy that your body can handle so only so much indiscretion. And that could be different from person to person. But once you exceed what your body has forgiveness for, you're tilting the scale in the wrong direction. 
Yeah. You know, and yeah. so some people notice that, like, you know, I can I can have one glass of wine, but if I have three, I pay the price the following morning. Yeah. You know, and I, I'd love to, like, go to a certain place with you because you and I share something common also. Yeah, yeah. That we've both done personal development work. Yes. And, you know, you talk about change your mind, change your body. And I think that wellness comes a lot from the mind and the kind of work that we did which was to really help us discover the ways in which we stopped ourselves from being the best that we could be in our lives and really living an authentic kind of life is so important a piece of why I'm even here the way I'm here yeah, you know, mental and I, training. And, and, you know, I did this my late 20s. You know, like, that's a lot of years of, you, you know, learning how to be as effective a person you can be in your own life. Yeah, I'm sure you've, you've seen firsthand the shifts because you've, you've been practicing actively yeah. through so many changes right. to lead you to where you are now. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Right. And, you know... I recently had some, you know, um, something I was handling with an eye doctor. And, you know, the joke was, he said, you know, because I looked around the office and, you know, I was one of the younger people, right? And he just said, I'm not even worried about you. That You're the healthiest person in here, you know? But I'm grateful for that. Like, everything that I can do, there are certain... Your genes are, you know, 20% of it. You know, yeah. the epigenetics Absolutely. is, is yeah. 80% of it. But yes. there are certain things that genetically, like in terms of, you know, types of diseases that kids get or things like that, there sure. really may be something laid out in your genes, like cystic fibrosis and things like that. Yes. But most everything is really modifiable by our diet and lifestyle. And so I think, you know, even when I had my kids, I was back running really quickly and I recovered and I healed beautifully, mostly because I had phenomenal circulation because I was running. Yeah. You know, so things like that. And, you know, and that's how I relate to what you're saying. Yeah, and being health conscious. And is... just, just being a stand for, you know, you might, you choose your highest value, but then your actions have to be in alignment with that. They have to be in alignment with that. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, with the whole medical wellness field, you hit it on the head. There is so much that has to do with the mind aspect, you know, and yes, we love nutrition and yes, we love physical exercise, but you know, both of those are a form of meditation. And, and that's Absolutely. what I try to tell people, you know, Absolutely. when you exercise and you're sweating and you're in a zone and you're feeling your muscles, that is a form of meditation. You know, you're, you know, uh, there's an old spiritual saying that says, you know, your language to your inner higher self, which we call God is oxygen, right? So the more oxygen you can produce while during a workout, right. staying zoned in helps you connect to that higher power, which releases and endorphins which puts you in a better state of mind you know and same thing with nutrition when you eat specific type of foods you know over a period of time and you do intermittent fasting it you know every single big spiritual leader in the past whether it was Jesus Buddha Muhammad Moses they all went into 
those godlike states mainly from a fasted state right. if, you, if you study right. history right. so you know it so it goes to show you you know how important right. connecting your state of mind can be with your physical being um and you know i i i mean we can sit here all day and i can't wait to bring you back and do the <laughs> 2.0 version of this and you know i want to kind of leave our audience now salvating for more because this was such an incredible podcast and i know it could it got a little technical for some people um you could always uh email us at uh, Lori at Helix and Gene or Sam at Helix and Gene or John at Helix and Gene uh, dot com um, and, and gather more information about what it is we that we that. do. Um, if you're interested in our functional medicine program or our medical wellness program or our medical weight loss program, you can go to www.hgwellnessgroup.com look us up contact us uh, we'd be more than happy to put you through the program and help you out and give you what it is that we do um, John if you want to just also plug in maybe our Instagram if, if you're a social media user yep so you can check us out on Instagram at Helix and Gene and see the latest posts you know we always update about uh, when our podcasts are coming out and you know sometimes you know during the week some cool tips and tricks about fitness and nutrition and just follow along and see what we're up to on our journey. Yeah, it's good information. And, you know, if you just want to keep, you know, updated on what it is that we do on Lori and myself, and we're going to start doing weekly blogs, uh, so onto the site. And you can get on our mailing list and we can send you guys that. Uh, and, you know, you can go to any one of those things that I mentioned earlier and, and ask those questions and we'd be happy to get you guys going. Um, Lori, I really want to thank you. This is an honor to have you, A, on our team and leading the nutrition and functional medicine aspect of what we do at the Wellness Center, as well as just being a great friend. And, uh, and, and we're, we're honored to have you here on the podcast as well. So thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. And, I'm uh, looking forward to a wonderful future. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you.